appreciate the uh, message that's gone before. Uh, Lord richly blessed us and, and Brother Norman bring those thoughts unto us. Um, I noticed as he's uh, <clears throat> was in Acts chapter 3 that he, thank you. Well, Brother Norman's an old seasoned preacher. He, he doesn't get dry mouth like I do. I get in front of people, I start getting a little nervous and all that, you know, still after I've been doing this all these times, many years now. But anyway, in Acts chapter 3, we've heard the, the, the preaching that's gone before and what Paul and, I mean not Paul, but Peter and John were doing. What were they doing there that day? They're going into the temple to pray at the ninth hour, right? They're on there, you know, they didn't go there to heal anybody. He didn't go there to preach to anybody. They're going into the temple to pray. Saw the lame man. Lord healed that man. And it says here that as the lame man, and as the lame man which was healed, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon, greatly wondering. You know what they didn't do? They didn't go on into the temple to pray. God brought them a congregation right there. And they saw the opportunity. That's what he's talking about. We have opportunity to share the name of Jesus and the great salvation that we have through him. And uh, I know sometimes it's hard to, you know, how do you start a conversation? You know, that's always the hard thing. I just got one idea. <clears throat> Next time somebody asks you how old you are, well, the days, the years of my pilgrimage are so many years. That's a good opener. That'll, that'll start a conversation. It will. And I don't know how exactly the brethren at Thessalonica did this, but I'll just make one reference over here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. After Paul had gone into Thessalonica and he preached, you can find that again in Acts 17, when he's rehearsing to them his first epistle back to that church, he talks about how that his, the gospel didn't just come to them in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost, much assurance, and ye became followers of the Lord. Uh, you know, they were moved to begin following the Lord Jesus Christ. The church was established. I want to read a little bit here. He says, verse 6, And ye became followers of the Lord, followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word, in much affliction with joy the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples or examples unto all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. How were they examples or in samples? He says, for from you, he's talking to, he's not talking to the preachers, he's talking to the members of the church at Thessalonica. And he says this about them. He says, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. In other words, the word had gone out through the church of Thessalonica, what great things the Lord had done for them. And to the point that Paul didn't go have to go tell anybody because everybody already knew it. And he continues on, he says, so that we need not speak anything. He says, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son Jesus, 
which delivered him from the wrath to come. He said, the people already know this because they had shared how great things the Lord had done for them. Over in Psalm 66, verse 16, David says, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. He was ready to speak of the Lord and his greatness and his goodness and that he's a merciful God and he's a savior and he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, a one who's never will leave us nor forsake us as he's given us that promise. <coughs> Over in Acts chapter 4, speaking of the name, he says, verse 10, when Peter and the apostles were called onto the carpet before the authorities and the religious men of that day, he said, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God hath raised up from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. He's talking about the one we just heard about, that lame man. They got in trouble for that. Well, he said it's by that name, which we've already heard. And he says, even by him does this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there any salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other name because there's no other man. I want to talk to you about the man and I don't know exactly I want, I want to uh, there's there's a man and I want to reemphasize what the brother said that there's a man in heaven today and his name is Jesus he's the God man he's God manifest in the flesh Jesus Christ was not just manifest in the flesh here for a little while and then no longer manifest in the flesh and I don't know if that's the route I want to go talk about today but I, I, that's an important point it says in, in John 1 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made and John 11 1 11 says and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only glory uh, as only uh, glory as only begotten of the father full of grace and truth we see that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Well, that one that he's over there in Isaiah 7, whose name is Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Well, you know what? He's still the Prince of Peace. He's still the Everlasting Father, manifest in the flesh. He's still Wonderful. He's still Counselor. And over in Isaiah, I think, chapter 32, says, and a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind, a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. I'm telling you today, we still have that man. We still have a man that's a hiding place from the wind. We still have a man that's a covert from the tempest. We still have a man, the shadow of a great rock in a weary land, and his name is Jesus Christ. 
His name is wonderful. It's Counselor, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God. And he's still manifest in the flesh today because he's the God-man, Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, if, we, if there is no man in heaven today, we have no mediator in heaven today. 2 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. It's, that's an important concept to understand that God, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. He was manifest in the flesh. Y'all pray for me. I got two directions I could go right here. He's manifest in the flesh. And I'm going to tell you, he's still manifest in the flesh. Y'all pray for me, but uh, it'd be easier to go one route than the other. But I think I want to go the other. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about, I want you to see the man, Jesus Christ. Y'all pray for me. It's important to understand what you just said. That there's a man in heaven today. As I said, I'll say it again. We have one mediator. I was thinking about it. I might talk about the mediator. But I want to talk about the fact that Jesus Christ is the man Jesus Christ. He's still. He came out of the tomb. The man Christ Jesus. The son of man. Whom he said in Matthew chapter 12 verse 40. That he says when they ask for a sign. He said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but there shall no sign be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was in the whale's belly three days and three nights, even so, he says, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The Son of Man was in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, and the Son of Man was raised from the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ took upon himself sinful flesh. He didn't, in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was wholly harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. He had no sin of himself. You understand that? In, Isaiah, in, uh, Jer in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. Talking about his incarnation. We already, we already went to John 1. In the beginning was the word. The word is made flesh. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ was manifested in the flesh. And this word was, that was with God, you know, 1 John 5, 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. But that word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And I'm, what I'm, I'm trying to tell you is the word is still made flesh today. Great is the mystery of godliness, 1 Timothy 3, 16. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh and it's important to understand he's still manifest in the flesh today he took upon himself into union with himself a human nature which consists of a human body spirit and soul and that's a great mystery i can't explain all that he's fully god but he's fully man he is deity he is the one that was 
before, you know, he said on one occasion, you know, before Abraham, before Abraham was, I am. You remember when John the Baptist over there uh, in John 1, 29, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And uh, he says over there, let me, let me get that. He, there's something he says that's very important. He talks about him that, uh, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He said, And this is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. He's divine. He's the eternal word that was made flesh. Let's talk a little bit about his divinity. This is God manifest in the flesh. This is Jehovah God that's manifest in the flesh. It's a great mystery how that could be. But Christ is divine. He is God. He's the mighty God. And as he rather just said, he's the everlasting father, right? He is. He's the everlasting father manifest in the flesh. You say, well, I thought he said he was the son. Well, I and my father are one. You know, there's three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. I know it's uh, hard to understand. You say one, time, well, one plus one plus one is three. Well, one times one times one is one. I don't know that's a good way to think. I mean, it, but it, it, it blows our mind. We try to think of ways to understand the fact that he's divine, that he's also human. But both are true. There's a lot of people who deny the divinity of Christ. Well, he's just some man. A lot of your cults. Uh, one of the things that you'll find about cults is they'll usually have something other than the scriptures to go by, and they always have some kind of funny thing about the divinity of Christ, like denying him. A lot of people deny the divinity of Christ. But there's others that deny the, the body of Christ, the humanity of Christ. But both are true. John says, he that cometh before me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Then, over there, I don't remember where it was. I think it's in Matthew 12, maybe. He, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He was before Abraham. Right? And then you could go over there. You remember over there in, I think it was Matthew chapter 2, where Herod the king says, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it's written. And they go over there to, to Micah 5. And they quote Micah. And I don't know if I can quote that. It says, O, o Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet shall he come forth unto thee, who is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from evermore. See, the, the uh, scribes didn't say that last part in Matthew 2. But if you go to 5, 2 of Micah, whose goings forth have gone from forevermore, from old and from evermore. In the beginning was the word. This is God, all right? Manifest in the flesh. Made of a woman. It says in Romans 1.3, he was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. When the fullness of the time was come, Galatians 4, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Made under the law to redeem them. He's made of a woman. He was born of the Virgin Mary. This one. And that holy thing should be called the son of God, the angel told Mary. Right? This is God. You already quoted Matthew 121. The angel told Joseph, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, the name of Jesus. Why? That means Savior, for he shall save his people from their 
sins. And we now go back to Hebrews chapter 2 where he explains, he says, For as much then, verse 2.14, he says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He's just simply talking about his incarnation and he, how the, the eternal word was made flesh. And, and for as much then as the children were partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Born of a virgin, without sin, but he's a flesh and bone man. And then you see, you keep going in that second chapter. He says in verse... 16, he says, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels. Well, he's telling us what he didn't come as. He didn't come as an angel. No, he took upon him the seed of Abraham. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. He took on him the seed of Abraham. And then it says, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. That's a human being. It behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful, what purpose? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. You know our high priest is a man. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. What does reconciliation mean? It means being brought back into a peaceful relationship with God. He's the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. The purpose of making reconciliation, it, I, mean, I mean, the purpose that he was a high priest was to bring us to peace with the Lord. Because, you know, we didn't, <clears throat> by nature, we're not at peace with the Lord. There's one mediator between God and men. It's the man Christ Jesus, that man, Jesus Christ, who took upon himself flesh and blood, the man Christ Jesus, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that's us, to be a merciful and faithful high priest to make reconciliation for sin. Because, you know, when, God start, when, when the Lord started this earth, he created all things good, did he not? Even man made him on the sixth day. He saw all that he'd made, and the Genesis 1 says it's very good, right? There's no sin around. But by one man, because he was disobedient. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 5.12, right? Verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. <laughs> That's talking about Adam. I find sometimes people don't like that idea that what Adam did doesn't affect me. I'm my own person. You ever had anybody tell you that? Oh, Adam lived a long time ago. Anything he did didn't affect me. Well, he was our federal head, whether you like it or not. But when you read the rest of that verse 19, people start liking it a little better because he says, he says by, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Even so, by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Aren't you glad for that representation of the Lord Jesus Christ? By his obedience, you're made righteous? I mean, whether people like it or not, that's what happened. We fell in Adam. 
And we became dead in trespasses and sin. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Because your sins have separated between you and God. God didn't go anywhere, but man did through disobedience. He fell. He was, took, he was thrust out of the garden and flaming sword so he couldn't go back in. He lost his fellowship and communion with God. He was no longer right with God. He was totally, completely wrong with God. You know what entered into the world? Sin. That's, that's the problem. Sometimes people, I'm, I'm amazed. I, talking with, I was talking to a secretary one time up at the, at the work where I work. And we were talking about scripture things. And uh, I was, she said something I didn't know what to say. I, we were talking about sin. I said, people go to hell because they got sin. They still got sin. She said, people don't go to hell because they got sin. I said, well, why do they go to hell? Well, because they don't believe. I didn't know what to say. I said, she didn't understand. Sin is what, sin's the problem. It came between us and a thrice holy God. God is, is too pure to look upon sin. And God has said the soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death. And that's eternal death and separation from God. And that's the way it is. That's what our sins deserve. If my soul, we sing, if my soul were sent to hell, thy righteous law approves it well. If you can sing that, you understand something about the grace of God. Because it takes the grace of God to understand where you're going, and it also takes the grace of God to understand what you ought, you know, what you deserve. The wages of sin. If my soul were sent to hell, thy righteous law approves it well. But I'm going to tell you, as the mediator and the high priest of God that came into this world, Jesus Christ, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, to be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, and make reconciliation for the sins of the people. How is he going to make reconciliation? How is he going to do that as a mediator? You know what a mediator is, right? Sometimes they have, you know, people have disputes, you know. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's the sports teams, right? You know, the players and the owners, they get at odds and there'll be a strike. And they got to bring in some kind of mediator. You know why they bring in a mediator? Because they've got a problem between the two. There's a variance between the two and there's no peace anymore. And you got to have a mediator to try to bring together to make peace between the two parties that are at variance one with another. That's the same thing that Jesus Christ did. It's that God is the offended party and we went away from God. There's a problem. The problem is sin. So how is the mediator, the purpose of the mediator is to fix the problem. And the Lord Jesus Christ fixed the problem. He did as our mediator. He's the go-between between us, a thrice holy God and sinful man. And he took upon himself the form of a sinful man to be the Lamb of God, to be both the high priest and the offering. And how's he going to do this? Just real quickly, how's he going to make things right? You know, this is really not that difficult. What was it that caused the breach to begin with? Sin. I mean, the concept's not difficult. I'm not trying to say that, you know, taking away sin. But sin intertwined, it came in between the thrice holy God and us. Thereby breaking the peace. Well, how do you restore the peace? The peace. You take away that which caused the breach, which is sin. And that's why Jesus Christ, it says he's manifested to take away our sins. 1 John 3, 5. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The problem is sin. Christ Jesus shall save his people from their sins. That's why he's named Savior. That's why he's named Jesus. 
The sin is the problem. And it's got to be dealt with. Because God doesn't just, uh, you know, God didn't just say, oh, we're going to forget about this sin. God's a holy God. It would have tarnished his holiness to do like maybe, we, oh, we're just going to forget about this. No. There's wages for sin and they're going to be paid for my lawlessness, for my sin. How did Jesus Christ as a mediator? He came to take away our sin. It says in uh, Hebrews 9, 26, once in the end of the world, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's what he came to do. But how did he do that? How did he take away our sins? It's not like I could, uh, I've got my phone here, I could take it away. That's something tangible, right? Sin's not tangible. How do you take away sin? <clears throat> you take away sin... You put it away by bearing the punishment due the sin. Christ also hath once, 1 Peter 3, 21, Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You know what bring us to God? Another word for that is reconciliation. Making of peace through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you that he suffered. He bare our sins in his own body on the tree of the cross. Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He says the chastisement of our peace was upon him, which means the punishment due that, that brought about our peace was upon him because he drank the cup of God's wrath there on the cross. And he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was suffering uh, at that point. The just for the unjust that he might reconcile us to God as our great high priest through the blood of the lamb. And he was the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. And I'm going to tell you, my friends, he, he fully accomplished what he had to do, as the brother said. And I'm going to tell you, you need some verses to sink your teeth into. You know, we're constantly immersed with the idea that Jesus really didn't accomplish anything on the cross. He didn't really put away your sins. He just made them put awayable. That's a word. He didn't really reconcile you. He just made you reconcilable based on something you, you do and how you respond. Uh, he just made you redeemable. He didn't really redeem you. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's foreign from the Word of God. The Scripture tells us these things happen. These are past tense. You go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says, about talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he says, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now that gives you a date. That gives you a time. That it was accomplished before he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Just lock that verse in your head. He didn't say he made our sins put awayable. It says when he had by himself purged our sins. He didn't make them purgeable. There's the word. Uh... He, it says, when he had by himself purged our sins, past tense, a finished work, redemption's accomplished, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Don't let anybody tell you he just made him purgeable based on, you know, something you do and he really get purged then. No, there's a legal work that was done. A legal work. We were redeemed, it says in Romans, in uh, Galatians 3.13, he says, Christ hath redeemed us. That's past tense, right? He hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Being made is 
present tense. He's saying as he was on the cross being made a curse for us, he redeemed us from the curse of the law. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangeth on a tree. Past tense. Not by the blood, 9-12 with Hebrews, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once of the holy place, having obtained, that's past tense, having obtained eternal redemption for you. My friends, there's a legal work that was accomplished through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5. He says, we were reconciled, verse 10, we were reconciled to God, past tense, by the death of his son. Reconciled. God brought the peace. He's the prince of peace, and he got the job done. Mission accomplished. But I'm going to tell you, I want to end up this, this morning by assuring you that this man who hung upon the cross, this great high priest, that man, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and men. It's the man Christ Jesus. And there's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved because he's the only Savior. There is none other. And it's the man Christ Jesus. And that man Christ Jesus, he came out of the grave. That man came out of the grave. And it says over there in, Romans, in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 12, it says, uh, it says, but this man, after he hath made one sacrifice for sins forever, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. It was this man. That's important to understand. It's the man Christ Jesus. Did you also know, I'll just throw this in there, if there is no man Jesus Christ that's living today, do you realize there's not going to be the judge of the quick and the dead? You go, to, you, go to, uh, you go to Acts chapter 17 when Paul is at Athens. And you start about verse 30 and 31. He says, at the times of this ignorance, God winked at. You know, they, were, they, they had this idol, you know, to the unknown God. He said, Paul says, I'm going to tell you about this unknown God. I'm going to tell you something about him. He dwells not in temples made with hands. He said, but he says to them in verse 30 and 31, he says, At the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness by that man, by that man whom he hath ordained, wherein he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. See, he raised that man from the dead. It's, it's the God-man, Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the quicken of the dead. And in Acts chapter 10, he actually tells that, Peter does, at Cornelius' house, when he talks about the Lord, how that God raised him up and showed himself, you know, among witnesses, and we're witnesses. But he says in verse 41, he says, not to all witnesses, uh, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. All right, who is this? This is, this is he starts in verse 38. You know how God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. This is the Son of Man. This is the God-Man who's the judge of the quick and the dead. He's also, there's only one mediator between God and men. It's the man Christ Jesus. He is the God-Man. He is the God-Man. But he's in heaven today. 
We, we, can, we can read over there. Uh, let's go to Acts chapter 2 just for a moment. Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> you remember this is the day of Pentecost where they spake with tongues and, and magnified the Lord and, and uh, people came together. And uh, they heard uh, the apostles preach. And ever in all the languages wherein they were born, you know, tongues of language. You know, I don't want to get into into tongues and things, but you know, uh, French is an unknown tongue to me because I don't know it. It's an unknown language. But anyway, we find here that Paul, that Peter talks. Let's begin in verse twenty-two real quickly. He says, "Ye men of Israel, hear these words: A man approved of God." He says, Jesus of Nazareth. Who is this? Jesus of Nazareth. The one made of the seed of David according to the flesh. The God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. That's who he is. Jesus of Nazareth. He, he, he grew up there. Uh, he was in Nazareth. Oh, we know who you're talking about. Well, let me tell you about this Jesus of Nazareth. A man approved of God among you by miracles and signs and wonders, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up from the dead. And this whole thing is talking about how he raised up Jesus from the dead, right? Raised him up from the dead. And he talks about he, uh, it says, David speaketh concerning him. And he quotes out of Psalm 16. Go study this later today. He quotes out of Psalm 16 how it says, He will not leave thy soul in hell, neither suffer thy holy one to see corruption. And he, and he makes the case that David's not talking about himself. But he, see, being a prophet of God, he seeing this before spake, uh, uh, spake of the, he says, Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God hath sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh, wasn't Jesus of the fruit of David's Loins according to the flesh, yes he was. The man Christ Jesus, yes. Born of a virgin, yes. Of the line of the tribe of Judah, you see. He says, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God hath sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, that means his offspring, according to the flesh he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell. Neither did his flesh see corruption. And what I want you to see here is he's saying that David prophesied of the fruit of his loins. He wasn't talking about himself. He's talking about the fruit of his loins that God would raise up to sit on his throne. Jesus went from the grave to the throne. And he's reigning right now. And I'll just tell you, he doesn't have to wait till some church age is over and a thousand year little reign of Christ for Christ to reign on the earth because he's reigning right now he went from the tomb to the throne and he's reigning king of kings and lord of lords and what I want you to see here is this he says this Jesus verse 32 this Jesus hath God raised up who is it Jesus the man the God man Jesus Christ this Jesus hath God raised up where we're all witnesses Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, where, where is he? When this man, had, after this man hath offered one sacrifice for sins, this man he sat down at the right hand. Remember Hebrews 2, 12, 10, 12, right? This man, this man, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, 
He hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. All the speaking in tongues and all the things that happened on the day of Pentecost, it was through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, because he's not dead. He's alive. And he was initiating all this. That's what he's saying. That same one that God raised up. He hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David's not ascended into the heavens, but he said unto himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. He says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God, listen, that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, God's made him both Lord and Christ. You know, this is the one, what did he have above his head when he was crucified? The king of the Jews in three different languages, right? He was the, what did Herod say? Where is he that's born king of the Jews? This is the king of the Jews, all right? This is their king. And what I want you to see here is they made insurrection against their king. Now, we, don't, we, are, we live in a little, little different political structure, but if you lived under a king and you want to make insurrection against the king and put him to death and kill him, you got the job done, everything might be okay. But they didn't get the job done. They killed him, yeah, but he came back to life. Now they're in big trouble. That's what Peter is saying. God hath made that same Jesus that you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? <laughs> We're in big trouble. And especially, Peter said, he's going to reign until they put all enemies under his feet. But I want you to see it's that same Jesus. I, I went through all that to say this same Jesus, the Son of God, incarnate, the Savior named Jesus, born of a virgin, who hung upon that cross, who put away our sins as far as the east is from the west, that obtained eternal redemption for us in a finished work, the mediator, this same Jesus is enthroned in heaven today. That man, our mediator. Who is this one? This is the God-man, Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, he says who he is. He says who he is. He says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. He says, what? Listen to him. He says, I am the root and offspring of David. The man Jesus Christ, he's still in heaven today. He's not just a man. He's the God-man. He's all God, manifest in the flesh, but he's a man that lived and died for you to redeem you from your sins. And that's the one that John saw in John chapter 1. We're going to close with this. John chapter 1. You know, John was on the Isle of Patmos to receive the revelation of God. And he says in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send to the seven churches of Asia. And John says, being turned, he saw. What did he see? He saw, I'm going to tell you, he saw the God-man Jesus Christ, God and man in union together as the God-man, the mediator, the judge of the quick and the dead, our Savior. He saw him 
in his glorified body. Yeah, human body. Glorified body. All right? The only body he had was a human one. He's the God-man, and he saw him, and he described him. He says, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the pass with a golden girdle. And his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance, countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me and saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and I am the last. Do you know what he's telling John by saying, I am the first and I am the last? He is identifying himself as the divine Jehovah God. Because he's quoting out of Isaiah Forty-four, verse six. Listen. And thus saith the Lord. And when you find in your OKJV Bible, it says Lord, and in the Old Testament, it's capitalized L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The translators there were making sure you know that that is talking about Jehovah God. This is Jehovah God. Do you know what Jehovah God said? He said, "Thus saith the Lord, the Jehovah, the King of Israel." And his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. There is no other God than the God who is the first and the last, Jehovah God. This one that John is seeing, that laid his hand, he says, fear not. I am the first and I am the last. I am Jehovah God. But not only am I Jehovah God. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. The man, Christ Jesus, our Savior. There's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved other than the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, Lord God, Jehovah, manifest in the flesh, all wrapped up into one. He's our Lord. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the mighty God. The everlasting Father, our Savior. May God bless you. My prayer.